and welcome <laughs> to Cannabis Nation, where we help guide you through the wonderful and complex world of cannabis by shedding light on your most burning questions and dankest desires. We are your hosts. I'm Nick. And I'm Susan. And this is episode 17. Oh, I feel like a queen. Oh, isn't it a dream? <laughs> Part four of the Prohibition series, Medical Marijuana and the Federal Fight. That's right. Yeah, so we are going to be discussing the history of medical marijuana in the U.S. from 1996 to 2012. Right. Then we are going to tell you some of our own sketchy weed <laughs> stories. Precarious but, positions we put ourselves in yes, for the procurement of marijuana. <laughs> that was a absolutely beautiful sentence with so many P's in it. I, 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 I do what I can. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> But first, we got some cannabis news. Yes, we do. And such news it is. And I'm going to start it off with a dirty word. I'm going to say scientists. <gasps> Can't say that anymore. <laughs> no. Stop getting so political. I know. It's really, I feel bad. <laughs> Golly. I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, scientists say climate change plays a role in the extreme weather patterns, including the West Coast fires and the huge temperature swing that unleashed snowfall and a sudden cold snap in Colorado that may have destroyed millions of dollars worth of outdoor marijuana and hemp plants. Imagine that. Imagine it. So it's really a thing. Climate Climate change? change. Are you sure? Scientists. Sounds like leftist propaganda. (laughs) I don't know if there might be some... Republicans, there might be some Democrats, but they're scientists. Yeah, now the cannabis industry insiders say the true toll of the fires is undetermined, both on the financial and for growers and potential impacts for the rest of the cannabis supply chain. You'd be surprised how one thing leads to another. Oh, yeah, it's you know? a cascading effect. Absolutely. The fire season is ongoing, and most outdoor farmers have yet to discover whether their crops will still be available to pass mandated state testing as a result of potential contamination from smoke, ash, fire retardant, and other things. Yeah, farms that fires haven't hit or others near where the wildfires have been burning will still be affected by the disasters. Well, how so? Well, for example, contamination from the dust storm storms or from having simply been uprooted by the fierce winds and then also crops that weren't already lost may now be in danger because of power outages and mm-hmm. we're like oh of course yeah there are some light deprivation growers that rely heavily on electric lights to complete their flowering before they can harvest not to mention you know everybody uses power for everything in this industry you know yeah. you have temperature control for curing yeah. even you know and then we thought, oh, geez, what about the extraction facilities? Yeah, they're and, dealing with thousands of dollars worth of machinery filled with explosive yes. liquids and gases. That oh, if that came to a halt suddenly, I uh, hope, I hope to God they have they have uh, generators. Seriously, because I mean, that's when, a terrifying it prospect. Is. Exactly. Now, just for an example, I just kind of wanted to give you this little. Um, this little snippet here, the Oregonian reported that roughly 20% of the state's licensed marijuana companies or 408 businesses are located in areas that are being evacuated because of the fires. That is insane. Think about that. 20% of their industry. Unbelievable. Poor Oregon. Yeah. So what does this mean for you and me, really? Well, be prepared to spend more money on your cannabis cannabis purchases and don't think you're going to be able to go to the black market and save any money because 
this is affecting them too. Oh yeah. You know, if you have to evacuate your grow house and you lose power, you're done. I mean, all Humboldt County is on fire. Yep. It is absolutely insane. We're going to see, you know, generally in the fall, we have huge amounts of outdoor crops yep. being taken down and, yep. and coming to the market. A lot of really well-priced weed coming in. Yeah. That's not going to happen. And it's called year. Croptober, by yep. the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They renamed the month to fit how important this month is to the industry and harvest. And yeah. with market trends, we might even see people that were completely unaffected by these fires also raising their prices yeah because of demand you know there it's supply there. and demand yeah, yeah. um so it's going to be a really uh interesting uh effect on the market this coming fall and seeing how things go so hold on um, to your hats yeah you know. yeah and and maybe be just a little bit more conservative with what you can or maybe do some purchasing now you know yeah. who knows but just know that this is coming yeah so now what else is coming is the meat and potatoes of our episode today. Yes, medical marijuana and the federal fight. Yep, it's a good fight, mm -hmm. and it keeps going. But Nick, tell them, tell them where we start here. The year is 1996. Mm -hmm. The hippies are getting old. Yes. The punks are growing up, yeah. and everybody wants to forget the 80s. Oh, God, trust. I was there. We really do. <laughs> some bad hair, some bad clothes, and some bad music. Anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's been two decades since the creation of the Controlled Substances Act, and that time has been overwhelmingly controlled by hard-on-crime anti-drug administrations. Yep. <laughs> it's becoming clearer and clearer how little control citizens have over the federal government, so they do the next best thing. They take their concerns to the state. Yep. They that's go to the streets. That's how they do it. Yep. That's how California became the very first state to legalize medical cannabis that year and started the juggernaut of cannabis legalization. <sighs> Thank you, California. Today, there are only eight of the 50 states that have no laws decriminalizing cannabis in one way or another. Mm -hmm. That's huge. But to get the full lay of the land, we have to go back to 1991, when San Francisco passed Proposition P by an overwhelming 79%. That's so crazy to me. Yeah. That's a huge demographic that huge. agrees. <laughs> yeah. I think that I, I can't imagine that there have been any other cannabis laws passed by that kind of margin. Margin, yeah. It was the first medical marijuana law anywhere in the U.S. and called for California to restore hemp medical preparations to the list of available medicines in California and protected physicians from penalty from prescribing hemp preparations for medical purposes. Good old San Francisco. Oh, you got to love this town. They have been really instrumental in helping not just like, you know, the hippie community but also the gay community, when the AIDS epidemic hit, oh, this yeah, was, was like a refuge for a lot of people who were sick, who had been ostracized from their families and didn't really have any places to go. And a community developed around these medical uh, marijuana facilities. It's been spoken about very often. And I know people who personally were able to participate in it and how it brought community to these people's lives who would have let, who would have died alone and in isolation in yeah. horrible ways. So. Well, I mean, the, the disease AIDS, HIV was so demonized mm -hmm. at the time too, that like, you know, uh, even doctors wouldn't treat people. That's so, right. you know, having this, not only this community that supported each other like yeah. that, but also making available a medicine that yes. actually helps. And it did actually help yeah. with, yeah, with a lot of the anti-nausea and, and other stuff too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
The next year, researchers in Jerusalem recognized and isolated the first endocannabinoids, chemicals produced naturally within the body that respond to the same receptors as THC and CBD, which led to the discovery of the endocannabinoid system, the largest array of receptors in the human body. See, this is what's so crazy to me, okay? Yeah. That it took this long to find the biggest receptor system in the yeah. human body the largest one to this day it is the largest system of receptors it was an absolutely groundbreaking discovery for the medical field as a whole. I, I absolutely yeah. and you know that it happened in jerusalem too not yeah. the united states no, no i mean they've been way ahead of us research wise oh, yeah. for, for big time decades but over the next few years, the combination of historical and modern evidence of the efficacy of cannabis as a medicine led Californians to vote for Proposition 215, legalizing medical marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. Arizona also passed a law the same year, but due to poor wording and <laughs> a lack of action on the on the state government side, uh, it, it no fizzled out. No and, political will. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. Now, this was the same year that Clinton was elected for a second term, and in response, the Clinton administration doubled down on its denial of the medical benefits of cannabis. Uh -huh. But their first shot was to go after doctors. Unbelievable. They threatened to ban them from participating in Medicare and Medicaid, Unbelievable. Re revoke their prescription writing abilities, and even criminally prosecute them for attempting to prescribe or recommend medical marijuana to patients. I just don't get it. Yeah. Well, you can take all the opiates and derivatives in the world, but, you know, yeah. you're going to go after these guys. Well, that's the problem is that the money's not going to the pharmaceutical right. industry, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, a contribution campaign. I know. Can... I need to keep making my money, money. on the side. <laughs> They only pay me $200,000 a year. Hello? <laughs> Hello? How, how can somebody live like that? Okay, you can only write so many books when My you're president. God. <laughs> but the doctors fought back. Because they have money. <laughs> <laughs> a class action lawsuit was filed by a group of physicians that came to finality in 2000, arguing that the federal government's stance was a violation of First Amendment rights. Yeah. While it is still legal to this day for a doctor, it's ooh, while it is still illegal, illegal. to this day yeah. for a doctor to prescribe cannabis, the right to recommend it was one a right that the medical marijuana industry has leaned on ever since. Yeah, and I love this too because, like, you know, these guys are like, you know, I went to med school for how long? I yeah. paid how much money? Yeah. And now you're gonna take my? I don't think so. No, no, <laughs> yeah. hell no. You know, yeah. they and and the the recommendation is, like I said, is what's still used today. I yeah. mean, if you are participating in medical marijuana, you don't get a prescription for it. No. You get a recommendation. Even though we call it a script, it really is just a sheet of paper that says recommendation. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they can't write a prescription. You're not getting it from a pharmacy. Right. Now, this couldn't have come soon enough, as by this time, seven other states had passed medical marijuana legislation. Yeah. However, years prior to the conclusion of this lawsuit, the Clinton administration had already changed their target from physicians to medical marijuana providers. Mm -hmm. Who don't have enough, who don't have as much money as the doctors. Go nope. ahead. Nope. <laughs> A number of raids were conducted, which led to easy convictions of seminal, seminal, <laughs> seminal, uh, civil and criminal charges, as by law, jurors weren't made aware that the cannabis was for medical use allowed by the state. Right. So what that means is they weren't given all the information. Yeah. So they're still thinking if they did, they weren't able to tell them, hey, it's legal in this state and these are the rules of operation and this company... 
you know, did all that to the T, they weren't allowed to know that. No, they were basically told it was a full illegal operation. Mm -hmm. And so that's why those convictions were so easy. Yeah. Uh, the drug czar, which if you remember that was coined during our yeah during the the, another yeah another prohibition series yeah yep. the Reagan administration woo <sighs> uh, but the drug czar at the time Barry McCaffrey mocked the laws saying this is not medicine this is a Cheech and Chong show and simultaneously worked behind closed doors to create media campaigns to dissuade states from passing similar laws yeah okay so can you say prop propaganda. Hello? Yeah. I mean, this is like textbook stuff. It's insane. Working behind doors and then calling it Cheech and Chong. Hello, Chong's done lots of good yeah. things for the medical marijuana Honestly, industry, by yeah. the way. Real medicine. If I, yeah. <laughs> if I had heard that at the time and I was against medical marijuana, that might have turned me around. Yeah. <laughs> I love those movies. I know. They're fun. And yeah, Chong is a freaking great dude. He's yeah. done so much for the industry. Totally. It's, it's insane. So then Bush was elected in 2000. And in came an attack on medical marijuana tenfold of that which we had seen in the previous four years. Yeah. Yeah. In 2001 to 2003, over 100 medical cannabis businesses were raided. Oof. Wow. Many of these raids were conducted by paramilitary tactics and gear who paid for that and civil forfeiture uh that's was was common practice seizing assets of those arrested even if they were acquitted of all charges thank you joe biden yeah we talked about that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely awful we talked about that in, the, in yeah. the search and seizure episode a bunch but yeah this was still going on yeah now in 2005, shortly after Bush's re-election, which I couldn't believe happened, the Supreme Court ruled in support of the government enforcing federal laws in states that had legalized marijuana medical cannabis. Okay, In 2006 alone, 594 individuals were arrested by the DEA in California on marijuana charges. Now, this is an astonishing blow to states' rights. And paired with drug czar John P. Waters' fervent campaign against medical marijuana was extremely effective in scaring states out of passing medical marijuana laws. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked. It did. <laughs> yes, it did. Between 2000 and 2008, only four states passed medical marijuana laws, almost half of the amount that had passed laws in the previous four years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely choked out. Uh, any any uh, yeah. further of, of medical marijuana laws. No one wanted to risk it. No. Now, in 2007, the DEA found a new avenue of attack for medical marijuana. They sent out letters to owners and managers of buildings in which medical marijuana businesses were operating, threatening them with up to 20 years in prison and civil forfeiture due to violating the quote, crack house statute, unquote. Yeah, so that was uh, part of the Controlled Substances Act, actually, uh -huh. saying that basically if you own property and you provide shelter or a building or facilities to anybody that's creating, distributing, trafficking drugs, any of that, then you are just as bad as the person See, doing the drug stuff and you will face the same kind of penalties. I just think that's so draconian yeah. and insane. And no. again, more fear and scare tactics, totally. you know? Totally, because yeah. you could be totally unaware, but that could still be argued, you know? Yeah. it's it's uh, Ignorance of the law is no excuse yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, unless you're a police officer. <laughs> Excuse me. 
The Bush years were a very dark time for the fledgling medical marijuana industry, with over 260 raids conducted with absolutely no protection. It was a really dark time. Yeah. It was it was frightening. It was it was really hard on the medical industry. But then Obama was elected, and we thought. Oh my God! The heavens have opened yeah, up. Yeah, everything started looking bright for oh, medical marijuana. So great, or so we thought. Oh, bait and switch. Obama seemed like the perfect president to allow medical marijuana to flourish, with campaign promises of a hands-off approach, saying he wouldn't use the Justice Department to circumvent states' cannabis laws. Mm-hmm. His administration doubled down on this when Attorney General Eric Holder announced that the federal government would only intervene in the case of both state and federal law being violated. (laughs) Deputy Attorney General David Ogden put into writing in his famous memo to federal enforcement officials. In reference to the new approach, drug czar Gil Kurlikowski stated, we're not at war with the people of this country. Sounds really? great, right? Right? Yeah. No. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't I, know. To, I feel like we are. <laughs> I, I think we have decades and decades of evidence against that. I'm pretty sure. I got. I was acquitted of charges, but you guys kept my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. No, we're not at war with the people in this country. We're at war with the poor people in this country. <laughs> I'm sorry. Get it straight. Oh, my God. <sighs> Well, during all of this, the Obama administration had been conducting a quiet, multi-agency campaign against medical marijuana that all came to light in 2011 when Obama nominee Michelle Leonhardt became the DEA administrator. Mm -hmm. She was an anti-medical marijuana Bush-era holdover with a chip on her shoulder. Yep. Within mere weeks of being appointed, an updated version of the DEA position on marijuana was released with subject headings like the fallacy of marijuana for medical use (sighs) or smoked marijuana is not medicine. Yeah, these are like real reports. This is what the headings say. It's like clickbait. It's (laughs) insane. And this was an official DEA paper. Yeah, yeah. She criticized Obama's approach to cannabis and put in serious efforts to walk back the Ogden memo. Mm -hmm. She went as far as to call the rapidly rising rate of drug-related death of underage persons a, quote, sign of success in the fight against drugs. I don't get that. Let me say that in another way. She said thousands of kids dying due to drug-related violence Uh was a sign of success in the fight against drugs. I don't... How how can you possibly even even fathom that that could be a positive thing. I wonder if this is one of these situations where she's in a room with a bunch of people and she finds herself still talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, the microphone's still on. <laughs> somebody, I somebody mean, interrupt me, please. I, I, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm off yeah, the rails. Yeah, I can't yeah, stop talking. Yes, please. Yeah. Somebody stop me. I mean, I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. <laughs> And you're still talking. Oh my god, why am I still saying words? It's it's good. It's so good. That's We're the winning. only explanation I have We're for that. We're winning. Sentence. Oh my god. Yeah. What the f- so, Yeah. So federal raids continued with Bush era tactics, raiding medical marijuana mm-hmm. providers and dispensaries, threatening landlords, and rampant civil forfeiture. Terrible. But a new tactic came into play as well. Mm-hmm. They added another one on their belt. Uh, they did. 
U.S. attorneys began sending out letters to state and city officials threatening criminal prosecution if they allowed medical marijuana laws to move forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're talking governors and mayors that yeah. are being threatened with jail time. By by U.S.-appointed federal attorneys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some of these letters even threatened prosecution of state employees and seizure of state administrative buildings that oversaw medical cannabis. Unbelievable. I thought we weren't at war with the American people. <laughs> no. We're at war with ourselves, Still, uh, the, go the governments. It, I, yeah, I, I, it's okay. absolutely insane. We're gonna be taking that that building, that courthouse. Wow, guys. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's like in Washington, we have the liquor and cannabis board. That's like their their office in in freaking Olympia yeah. being seized by the federal government for just doing what they and turned into federal property yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, just just for for following their state laws. Yeah, and for, for enforcing. enforcing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For you're getting in trouble for enforcing laws. Being a law enforcement agent. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. So in response to outcries of state and city officials from these letters, Deputy Attorney General James Cole issued a new memo. Not the one you're thinking of. No, no. Stating that the Ogden memo was being followed by federal government, but the protections of said memo only applied to individual patients. <laughs> Which I don't. That was not that was not an interpretation at any point up until he put out this line. Uh, let me read what he's where he's getting this. Right. So the Ogden memo states: as a general matter, pursuit of these priorities should not focus on federal resources in your states on individuals whose actions are in clear and unambiguous compliance with existing state laws providing for the medicinal use of marijuana. marijuana. So. He focused on that. Any Anybody with a brain would take that and say, okay, if you're following medical marijuana laws in what right. you're doing, you are fine. Right. You're not, there's not going to be any federal crackdown on you. But he focused on the word individuals and said, oh, by that they meant individual medical marijuana patients. Which is not what they meant. <laughs> no, not at all. Right. So anybody else involved that wasn't a medical marijuana patient, for example, government employees uh -huh. and, and uh, care providers uh -huh. and a, just a huge uh, array of people are suddenly under fire. That's correct. And this caused a freeze in new medical marijuana laws, licenses, in de and development in a majority of the U.S. for months. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah, everybody was terrified. You betcha. Just four and a half years into Obama's presidency, spending on the medical marijuana crackdown had reached $289 million, mm -hmm. over $100 million more than all eight of Bush's years, and over 270 raids were conducted. More than Bush's over 260 in eight years. Now, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Obama was the best Republican president the, the Republicans have had in decades. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> really, you know, and that's what a lot of people say that the reason all this happened was so that he could undercut Republicans on policies that they would support in order to win reelection. Yeah. So he appointed a really harsh DEA, uh, 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 administrator yeah. that was going to do all this fucked up shit to yeah. cannabis, but because it was her doing it and he could still be over here, here saying, we're going to be friendly to weed. Oh, she's the bad guy. Yeah, but she works he, under the discretion and the, and the, what and is he it? nominated her right yeah. of the president. Yeah. Right. Right. The pleasure of the president is how everybody operates when you're given a title like that. So that's on you, Obama. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no scapegoats here. You did it, bud. Yeah. But, the grassroots support for cannabis couldn't be stopped. 
In late 2012, Colorado and Washington voted to legalize recreational cannabis. Woo! Thank you, thank you. And we're so happy they did. And then other states have followed as well. But the fight is not over. In a future podcast, we will, uh, in an episode, we will be discuss discussing what happened from 2012 until now. Yeah. So, and there's so much more. You know, oh, it, yeah. did, it did get a lot better for uh, at least a while. You know, with the coal the coal memo that most of us know about the Rohrabacher yeah. Far Amendment. Yeah, um, there there were a lot of protections put in place, and then even some uh, Supreme Court rulings that. that and we'll talk it. about that so, in the future. Yeah, we'll talk for about sure. all that and, and explain what that's going on there. But yeah, we just f- figured this time period was insane because the medical industry was growing at a phenomenal oh, rate yeah. and the more it grew the harder, harder the government cracked down and attacked it yeah. adding new uh li- venues of attack every few years just mm-hmm. to try to crush anybody who tried to get into it yeah so that has been our prohibition series number four for meta- mer- medical marijuana and the federal fight. Dun, dun, dun. But, you know, now, to d- remember, we're not really doing reviews. We did a little review on a new type of product last yeah. podcast. But we kind of thought it would be fun because to, to, to tell you some sketchy weed stories. Like yeah. what we did, places we found ourselves in that since marijuana is legalized people don't have to put themselves yeah. in those precarious positions for their purchase of marijuana yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. we did so much in order just to get this precious plant in those in those days and it's very nice that that has changed now i'm going to start off this At least time for some. yeah for some exactly there's some places that you don't want to go those eight states i am so sorry yeah alabama um, <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm going to start off this this time and i'm going to tell you that it was the 80s okay. i was a young teenager and i had no business being where i was i'm out in the middle of nowhere surrounded by cornfields and I'm at a friend's house, and she happens to live next door to a Hell's Angel. And when I say next door, I'm telling you like three acres away. <laughs> yeah. Out in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. You know, and both these old farmhouses are like these long gravel driveways, right, to get to them. So there I am at the Hell's Angel's house, who had a beautiful white shepherd, by the way. Um, he had in his kitchen it was like it was like a science lab it was like some mad scientist lab where there's like percolators and uh like distiller distilling meth <laughs> no uh, wait till no. wait till you hear the it story sounds like meth to yeah, me you would think so you would think so but this is kind of before crystal meth i mean it was i'm sure it was around but it wasn't yeah. like it is so No, no. So we get into the whole thing. I'm here to buy a dime bag for God's sakes. Okay. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm pretty good looking 14. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I, and I have no idea the position I am putting myself in, you know, but I'm pretty cocksure that everything's going to be all right. Yeah. So, I mean, we're at my friend's neighbor's house for God's sakes. So we get into it. I'm here to buy it. And he starts rolling. He rolls us a joint. And I get a hold of said joint, mm-hmm. and it's like this bluish, 
crystally kind of coating on the surface of the paper. Meth. No. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you ought to thought. So I go, what's this? And he goes, take a hit and see if you can guess. Oh, God. So That's terrifying. Intrepid teenager that I am. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Well, of course I take up the Pepsi challenge. And... I'm, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm terrified for you. So I take a hit. It tasted really chemically. Okay. Like, and it smelled really chemically too. Yeah. And you know, you don't find a crystal blue. No. Like color in nature. No. So I take the hit and I let it out. Whoa. <laughs> This is different. Everything starts vibrating. Almost a little bit, kind of like I'm heightened, like everything gets bumped up a notch, right? Meth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but. I know. And I go, he goes, well, what do you think it is? I go, Coke. He goes, no. And I'm 14. I'm stupid. I go, acid. And he goes, no. You know, take another hit and see if you can figure it out. Well. (laughs) <laughs> obviously you don't know what it is you're a 14 year old that has never seen this sparkly blue coating he's just trying to get you fucked up yes i'm terrified for you yes right you should be okay but again as you could tell from previous episodes not daunted <laughs> or scared somehow even though i should be yep i take another hit and now i am higher than I've ever been in my life. Okay. Melting. Okay. Yeah. Wah, wah, yeah. Wah, wah. Like things I start to hear the refrigerator humming. I yeah. see the walls vibrating, you know? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Everybody looks a little, I don't know, more glowy or something. I don't know yeah. how to describe it. And I let it out and I go, God, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just don't know. And he goes, Well, take another hit and see if you can figure it out. I go, No. You tell me what this shit is right now, right? Yep. I'm done playing this game, yep. okay? And he goes, it's PCP. God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fucking horse tranquilizers. If only it had been crystal meth. Oh, my God. <laughs> I literally was so high and so happy. I walked around for three hours with my arms above my head, holding with my hands on top of my head, holding my head onto my shoulders because I was convinced it was going to float off. Oh, my God. (laughs) And laugh and laugh. And the more I'd laugh, the more I'd hold my head, my head down. I had a marvelous time. Thank God for me. I was not... um, taken captive and held prisoner and uh, sold as a sex slave. Yeah. (laughs) My God. Lucky for me, I didn't have a horrible, horrible, horrible PC trip, which can happen, which people like jump off buildings and run themselves in front of cars or, you know, a myriad of other things. So I got really lucky. I was really stupid when I was young. I thought I was smart, but in retrospect, again, really lucky yeah my god thank god for legalization anyway Smoked a bunch of fucking pcp lace my god very sketchy situation that's terrifying <laughs> what's yours nick oh well geez i gotta fucking follow that one 
Oh, I don't even want to tell it now. It's stupid. I got sold oregano. That was my story. No, no, what? no. Come on. Oh, my God. Okay. Everybody wants to forget the 80s. You fucking bet. Oh, my anyway. God. Okay, well, I'll take a shot at it. Well, uh, I was a teenager. I was trying to get some weed, of course. Mm. Me and my girlfriend had a romantic night plan, uh, and we wanted a little bit of cannabis sure. to just, uh, you know, enhance the mood. Um, <laughs> but my friend who normally had it was out of town. My other friend who I knew who occasionally had it or knew somebody, he couldn't get any. It was it was definitely a dry spell. Um, so I hit up another kid that I know who, that I, I've never really hung out with him too much, uh-huh. but I go to school with him. I know he smokes weed. Um so I hit him up. I'm like, hey, dude, do you know anybody that can sell me just like, you know, a dub? I just need some weed. Yeah. And he's like, oh, totally, dude. Here, text this guy. Here's right. his number. Uh, I was like, rad. Awesome. So uh-huh. I text this guy. He's like, yeah, no problem. I can hook you up. Mm-hmm. Um, meet me at the 7-Eleven on this corner around this time. It'll be cool. So, all right. Awesome. I'm going to get weed. We're going to have a good night. Yeah. <laughs> so I drive out to the 7-Eleven. Text the guy, hey, I'm here. He's right. like, all right, now get out of your car. Oh. I'm like, ah. Uh, what? A teenager me being like, okay. <laughs> um, this isn't weird. Uh, and I was like, okay. And he's like, all right, now walk around the corner huh? past the 7-Eleven uh, on the sidewalk. I'm like, all right, cool. So I go for huh? my stroll. Like and, you did, the, uh, I'm sorry. It never occurred to you you might be cut up into little tiny pieces. No, in once again, basement. Once I mean, again, no. yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, people have been stabbed for less than twenty dollars. Yes, <laughs> yes, they have. So, uh, so nonetheless, I go for my little stroll. I get out of the Seven Eleven. It's at, it's at night. It's like eleven o'clock at night or something right. like that. It's late. It's dark. Of um, and, uh, and you know, there's a, I come across, there's a, like a little business park that all the lights are off. It's, oh you know, closed. God. And right <laughs> as I'm about to walk up in front of it, a car pulls out like right in front of me. Crystal uh, meth? On the <laughs> no, no crystal meth. Thank God. Um, the back, back window of the car rolls down. It give me the money. I hand him the $20. What? You yeah. give him the yeah, and they were, easily could have just driven away, but yes. they didn't want to arouse suspicion, I suppose. Apparently. So then the front window rolls down, <laughs> and the other guy hands me this bag that, you know, I'm out in public with a bag of weed in my hand now. So I immediately shove it in my pocket well, sure. and turn around and go walking back down the street towards my car. <laughs> but I, as I have this bag in my pocket, I'm like, oh my god, this this feels like a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be a dub, and this is like. This is like a half ounce of weed. What? <laughs> what? And it's like all ground up. What the fuck's going on? Uh-huh. Did they just like hook me up, uh-huh. dude? This is insane. <laughs> I smile on your face all the way yeah, to the Yeah, I'm car. like, I just fucking swindled those motherfuckers. <laughs> I won this one. Get back into my car, turn on the little dome light, pull out the bag, and yes, <laughs> it is oregano. I spent 20 bucks on a bag uh, of oregano. I hope it was really good oregano. <laughs> the funny part, I, I I never used it. I never actually cooked with it or anything. The, the funny part was like, oh my God, it must have been, must have been, uh, well, first of all, 
I hit up my friend and he was like, oh, fuck, the guy that I got the phone uh-huh. number from. And, and he hooked me up with oh, her. So, so all was made okay. Okay. But I just thought it was funny. So I threw this bag of oregano in like my bedside table and it sat there for like two years <laughs> um, until um, uh, I came home and uh, my mom was in the kitchen and the bag was on the counter. <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, what's this? <laughs> She knew what it was, and she just immediately started oh. cracking up. <laughs> but for a split second there, I was going to have to try to convince my mom that this was oregano and yeah. not weed. And, and how you came about it. Yeah. I, I was thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be a Mother's Day gift. You've totally spoiled it. A plastic baggie full of freaking oregano. This was a gift. No way. Handpicked. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's a great story. See, these are things that people should never have to experience ever again. Let's legalize it. Let's take it out of the dark ages and out of back alleys and bikers' homes. I mean, no offense, bikers. Some of you are very nice people. And thank you for that nice gentleman who didn't, you know, molest me or hold me captive or sell me. So that was nice. Take another hit so you can (laughs) figure it out. It's like you were there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening to Cannabis Nation, everyone. We hope this has helped shed light on your most burning questions and dankest desires. Come and check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Cannabis Nation Podcast. This is Susan. And this is Nick. And And in on a been a lot of times that i've done some stupid things that i thought i was really smart in retrospect you know i don't i don't doubt that lucky